On April the 18th, 2018, I wrote to Mary Oliver's agent, Regula Noetzli. Dear Regula, greetings from Cork, Ireland. I'm getting in touch to request permission to record audio of some of Mary Oliver's work. This would be for non-commercial projects. Mary is my favourite living poet. I'm a poet who loves reading poems aloud and sharing my reading via my blog, which has a tiny following. This is the first time I've ever contacted a literary agent, so I'm not sure how best to do this with best wishes, Paul Omani. The same day, I received a reply from Regula. I'm afraid Mary does not allow the use of her material on blogs, printed or read. Also, she has read many of her own poems that are available as audiobooks. I'm sorry, but we cannot grant the requested permission. Regards, Regula Noetzli. And I replied to her, Thank you very much, Regula. We all go on journeys. You know, only some journeys are more... Uh, more what? More marvellous? More extraordinary? More conversational. Some journeys are more remarkable than others, and it's absolutely certain that a man who sets out to go around the world in a thousand and eighty days is going on a remarkable journey. So here is uh, a gift, a gift for that journey man. And it's from Mary Oliver, and it's a poem by Mary Oliver which I'm absolutely certain that A.J. Leon knows. He probably did it at school, really. But uh, it's called The Journey. And it can be your life, too. It can be a journey of your lifetime. Here's what Mary Oliver had to say under the heading The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop, you knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild wind, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, And there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Wow, got to be one of the most powerful poems if you're going to change the world.
Welcome to Filter, my favourite coffee house in the whole world. Goodness knows what the music that's playing in the background is called. But I'm reading Mary Oliver, that extraordinary poet, and this is from her prose. And I just have such a strong urge to read it to you. So here goes. Some... No, let me start again. What some might call the restrictions of the daily office, they find to be an opportunity to foster the inner life. The hours are appointed and names named. Life's fretfulness is transcended. The different and the novel are sweet, but regularity and repetition are also teachers. This is the bit that really got to me. And if you have no ceremony, no habits which may be opulent or may be simple, but are exact and rigorous and familiar, how can you reach towards the actuality of faith or even a moral life, except vaguely? The patterns of our lives reveal us. Our habits measure us. Our battles with our habits speak of dreams yet to become real. I just thought you might like to hear that. One of my favourite poets of all time is Mary Oliver, and I just feel like reading some of her poetry. The first is a poem called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognised as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Sleeping in the forest. I thought the earth remembered me. She took me back so tenderly arranging her dark skirts, her pockets, full of lichens and seeds. I slept as never before, a stone on the river bed, nothing between me and the white fire of the stars, but my thoughts, 
and they floated light as moths among the branches of the perfect trees. All night I heard the small kingdoms breathing around me, the insects and the birds who do their work in the darkness. All night I rose and fell, as if in water, grappling with a luminous doom. By morning I had vanished at least a dozen times into something better. Wild Geese, and this is a very special poem. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile the world goes on. Meanwhile the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile the wild geese, high in the clear blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. The Swan Did you too see it drifting all night on the Black River? Did you see it in the morning rising into the silvery air an armful of white blossoms a perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings a snowbank a bank of lilies biting the air with its black beak. Did you hear it, fluting and whistling, a shrill dark music, like the rain pelting the trees, like a waterfall knifing down the black ledges? And did you see it, finally, just under the clouds, a white cross streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like the stretching light of the river. And did you feel it in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you too finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life. Where does the dance begin? Where does it end? Don't call this world adorable or useful 
that's not it. It's frisky, and the theatre for more than fair winds. The eyelash of lightning is neither good nor evil. The struck tree burns like a pillar of gold. But the blue rain sinks straight into the white feet of the trees whose mouths open. Doesn't the wind, turning in circles, invent the dance? Haven't the flowers moved slowly across Asia, then Europe, until at last now they shine in your own yard? Don't call this world an explanation or even an education. When the Sufi poet whirled, was he looking outward to the mountains so solidly there in a white-capped ring? Or was he looking to the centre of everything, the seed, the egg, the idea that was also there, beautiful as a thumb, curved and touching the finger, tenderly, little love ring, as he whirled, O oh, jug of breath, in the garden of dust. So there you have it, a few poems from the wonderful Mary Oliver. Fourth Sign of the Zodiac, Part 3, by Mary Oliver. I know you never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same. So why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. There is so much to admire, to weep over and to write music or poems about. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. Bless the eyes and the listening ears. Bless the tongue, the marvel of taste. Bless touching. You could live a hundred years. It's happened, or not. I'm speaking from the fortunate platform of many years, none of which, I think, I ever wasted. Do you need a prod? Do you need a little darkness to get you going? Let me be as urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while he had a lifetime. I know you never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same. So why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. There is so much to admire, to weep over, and to write music or poems about. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. Bless the eyes and the listening ears. Bless the tongue, the marvel of taste. Bless touching. 
You could live a hundred years, it's happened, or not. I am speaking from the fortunate platform of many years, none of which I think I ever wasted. Do you need a prod? Do you need a little darkness to get you going? Let me be as urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while he had a lifetime. That's Mary Oliver reading her own poem. You can find it in Blue Horses. As we say in Ireland, you're one of us, Mary. You're a chip of the old block. I came across you recently when I was looking for uh, something like a better life. Not really sure what it was, but wasn't sure, not even sure if I can remember what it felt like the day I opened the door to you when you came in to the kitchen. Almost certainly, it was raining. You see, I'd never have written, you don't have to like oysters, if it wasn't for the sound of your voice. The way you didn't just sit in the chair opposite me, but got out of the chair and sat in my lap and every now and again Damon like you'd hop onto my shoulder change form never substance a whelk a drop of dew a river a goose Oh no, not a river. Another creature. N not only was this a new experience for me, it was an old experience, returned to poke the cinders to see if any of them still glowed. Mary Oliver is probably my favourite living poet. And Brain Pickings by Maria Popova is certainly my favourite blog in the world. It was on Maria Popova's blog that I found this prose poem by Mary Oliver. It's called The Whistler. All of a sudden she began to whistle. By all of a sudden I mean that for more than 30 years she had not whistled. 
It was thrilling. At first I wondered who was in the house, what stranger. I was upstairs reading and she was downstairs. And from the throat of a wild and cheerful bird, not caught but visiting, the sounds warbled and slid and doubled back and larked and soared. Finally I said, is that you? Is that you whistling? Yes, she said. I used to whistle a long time ago. Now I see I can still whistle. And cadence after cadence she strolled through the house whistling. I know her so well, I think, I thought. Elbow and ankle, mood and desire, anguish and frolic, anger too and the devotions and for all that do we even begin to know each other who is this I've been living with for 30 years this clear dark lovely whistler and that poem is written about Molly Malone Cook who was, may she rest in peace, who was Mary Oliver's soulmate for 30 years. Hello, Claire. It's uh, Paul here in my kitchen in Cork on a windy night. I'm thinking of you and I was thinking of you going back to your apartment um, with all those heavy emotions and uh, all the effort you've, uh, you've put in to give other people um, an opportunity to have an experience that matters. So I thought, what can I give you? Something that you might even listen to this evening. So I've got, I'm going to read you a poem by Mary Oliver. And um, it's got a fierce title. It's called When Death Comes. So here for you specially and just for you is uh, When Death Comes by Mary Oliver When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn When death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut when death comes like the measle pox. When death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through the door full of curiosity. Wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness. And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. 
and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility, and I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's all over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world, yeah. That's When Death Comes by Mary Oliver. And you know, of all the people that I've come to know a little and admire a lot via Periscope, That last line, I don't want to end up simply having visited this world, is, uh, for me, the success you've had. You haven't simply visited this world. You haven't, you haven't even ended up anywhere, but you're making sure you don't end up simply having visited this world. And I have so, so much to thank you for, and others have too, and... Anyway, this isn't meant to be the, the big, uh, the big grand thank you or anything like that. It's just, it was in my mind to give you something that um, you could put your feet up and to, you could listen to. Um... Poem by my favourite living poet, American Mary Oliver, still alive in Miami. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Uh, rest, rest well. Bye bye. If I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And if I never do it, I'll be pissed off with myself. I'm uh, here in the kitchen, it's nearly half eight or something, twenty to nine, and it's Tuesday morning in, uh, in January, and Mary Oliver died last Thursday, if I remember rightly. I think she died on the 17th of January. I'm not going to bother to check. This book I have in my hand is called New and Selected Poems, Mary Oliver, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. 
It was published 1992, if I remember. Yeah, 1992. I've written inside it yesterday. I've written, uh, when did I get this book? Who sent it to me? It must have been 1998. The book, by the way, is dedicated to Molly Malone Cook, who was uh, Mary Oliver's uh, love partner for uh, many years. And I think she moved to Mary, I think Mary Oliver moved down to um, Florida after after Molly Cook died. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about Mary Oliver. This book apparently won the 1992 National Book Award for Poetry. Did I say that already? No, I didn't. And this is what it says on the back of the book. It's by Stephen Dobbins, New York Times Book Review. One of the astonishing aspects of Oliver's work is the consistency of tone over this long period. What changes is an increased focus on nature and an increased precision with language that has made her one of our very best poets. There's no complaint in Ms. Oliver's poetry, no whining, but neither is there the sense that life is in any way easy. These poems sustain us rather than divert us. Although few poets have fewer human beings in their poems than Mary Oliver, it is ironic that few poets also go so far to help us forward. Yeah, pretty good stuff, Stephen. You've got a few ellipses in the middle of that, so... Maybe I'll try and find the whole piece. Now, the reason I... uh, There are two... You know, the impulse to do anything more about Mary Oliver comes from listening to the poems of Mary Oliver, which people have read in celebration of her. And for the most part, the impression I've got is that the poems of Mary Oliver that people have chosen to read are the ones that are most obviously relevant to the human condition. To put it um, in another way, they're not about whelks and humpbacks and crossing the swamp and skunk cabbage, and they're not about the turtle, and they're not about... Yeah, they're about the journey. I suppose they are about wild geese, but uh, anyway, they're they're not about the egret. They're not, in other words, about these uh, the poems which were most close to the observations of nature. I mean, like when she writes about the sunflowers, she starts off, "Come with me." Okay, straightforward invitation. Come with me into the field of sunflowers. Well, who doesn't want to go into a field of sunflowers? Their faces are burnished discs, their dry spines creak like ship masts, their green leaves so heavy and many fill all day with the sticky sugars of the sun. Okay, the reason I read that is that it's, you know, it's about the sunflowers. It's not about the, at that point, at least in the poem, it's not about you army and it doesn't really promise that it's going to transform into you know a life lesson and i've never read this poem before so i'm not going to read on but the 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 other so i wanted to read i do want to read 
the Mary Oliver poems about animals and birds and uh, places. I want to read those, meaning I want to read them into into uh, audio in audio. And there's a second theme to why I'm saying anything at all about this, and it has to do with the way in which I've treated poetry books for as long as I can remember. And it is that when I read a poem, I write the date on top of the poem, and I give the poem um, a number of ticks. Yeah, I give three ticks to a poem that I like an awful lot. I do other sort of markings as well, but the point is that I can open a book of poetry that I've had before and I can quickly flick to the pages which have got three ticks if I want to reread or I can see the ones that I haven't yet read. And this book I'm holding in my hands, the poem Winter, I read on the 24th of November 2015. I read Peonies on Sunday, the 28th of March 1998. And it's the 1998 date that really hit me. Have I been, has Mary Oliver been in my life for 20 years? I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, just crazy long. And I think, my, and I picked up this book because it is, it's, it's the only book of poetry by Mary Oliver that I have. I have a, the book of essays out um, upstream. Um, but this this new and selected poems. Now this new and selected poems has stuff from poems from well it finishes in 1992. Yeah, and the the last poem in new poems 1991 to 92 is called October. I don't know when that poem was written, and I have—I don't think I've read it. But anyway, and then it goes back. There are poems from House of Light, 1990, from Dreamwork, 1986, from American Primitive, 1983, from Twelve Moons in 1979, from Night Traveler in 78, Sleeping in the Forest in 78, from The River Styx, Ohio, 1972. From No Voyage and Other Poems, 1963 and 1965. Now, I don't remember how I came to have this poem. This book, rather, this book. But I I was thinking to myself, what's the first Mary Oliver poem I've ever read? And I think, well, how do I read poetry books? Some, how do I read any yeah, poetry books particularly? I often go to the back page. And I see that I read, I read a poem called On Winter's Margin on the 31st of March, 1998. There'll be several other poems from that, that I read on that day in 1998. Some of that, they're pencil marks. I read a letter from home. Um, that was a Tuesday. Did I say it was 31st of March? On the same day. Because there are faint pencil marks here. Now, I returned to Mary Oliver and reading in this uh, 
book several times, so there's several stuff in 2015. But when um, what you call it came out, when Bumpers came out, I forget how many years ago, not that very many years ago, as an audio platform, I decided to read what I call the greatest poems ever written. And uh, I, I don't know how many I recorded, maybe 30, perhaps more. I had an intention, <laughs> I had an intention, a, you know, a grandiose idea to record the 100 greatest poems ever written. And I see here that five stars were given to the poem, The Journey. Five stars were given to the poem, Wild Geese. So I certainly read these poems, you know, paid a lot of attention to them you know, in the last three years. Whereas I gave four stars to some herons. And I gave five stars to some questions you might ask. Anyway, this is, uh, I'm now going to read, oh yeah, Welks got five stars. Welks is phenomenal. And, uh, well, <laughs> When Death Comes, which Robin Milne read, um, I recorded in audio and sent to Claire Waddington in Paris on the 14th of November, 2015. She's a great friend of mine in Paris, spring azures, five stars. Anyway, I'm going to read something. I'm going to read the, the, the last poem in this book on winter's margin. On winter's margin, we see the small birds now with half forged memories come flocking home to gardens famous for their charity. The green globes broken, veins like tangled, no shit, bollocks. Okay, abandon everything, everything, gonna start again. On winter's margin, see the small birds now with half forged memories come flocking home to gardens famous for their charity. The green globes broken, vines like tangled veins hang at the entrance to the silent wood. With half a loaf, I am the prince of crumbs. By time snows down, the birds amassed will sing, like children for their sire to walk abroad. But what I love is the grey stubborn hawk who floats alone beyond the frozen vines. And what I dream of are the patient deer who stand on legs like reeds and drink the wind. They are what saves the world, who choose to grow thin to a starting point beyond this squalor. They are what saves the world who choose to grow thin to a starting point beyond this squalor. That's on winter's margin. I gave that two ticks 
in 98. And I put a penciled line down in the margin of with half-forged memories come flocking home to gardens famous for their charity. I highlighted that phrase, goodness knows why. Let me go back to 98 and read one more. What's this? That's 98. But no, this is 93. Hang on a second. Hang on a second, Paul. You made a kind of discovery here. Is that an eight? It's awfully like a three, a letter from home. No, it must be 98. 31st of March, 1998. A letter from home. She sends me news of blue jays frost of stars and now the harvest moon that rides above the stricken hills lightly she speaks of cold of pain and lists what is already lost here where my life seems hard and slow i read of growing melons piled beside the door and baskets filled with fennel, rosemary, and dill, while all she could not gather in or hide in leaves grows black and falls. Here where my life seems hard and strange, I read her wild excitement when stars climb, frost comes and blue jays sing. The broken year will make no change upon her wise and whirling heart. She knows how people always plan to live their lives and never do. She will not tell me if she cries. I touch the crosses by her name. I fold the pages as I rise and tip the envelope from which drift scraps of borage, woodbine, rue. From which drift scraps of borage, woodbine, rue. She knows how people always plan to live their lives and never do. I mean, only. God, this is, this is Mary Oliver. She knows how people always plan to live their lives and never do. Yeah, I did highlight that in 98, we'll say, and give it a tick. She knows how people always plan to save their lives and never do. And all I can think is <laughs> that, that that couplet is uh, going to come out of that poem, out of that a letter from home, and it's going to go walking through other places in my life. It's going to be a companion. I mean, it's saying what 
I know what you know. It's kind of what everybody knows about New Year's resolutions, but it's more than that. Plan to live your life. Your life, not somebody else's life. Anyway, it reminds me of loads of stuff that I've come across in brain pickings when Maria Popova talks about our shows, presents stuff by people who are grappling with the issue about how do you live your own life? How do you live your life as opposed to how do you live other people's lives? That's enough, that's enough, enough time spent on a letter from home. She sends me news of blue jays, frost, of stars, and now, now, the harvest moon that rides above the stricken hills. What on earth are stricken hills? (laughs) Are they hills laid bare by winter? The stricken hills. Or is that a projection of human feelings into the hills? (laughs) Anyway, Mary Oliver, you're not around to answer me that. And frankly, it doesn't matter to me what you mean by the stricken hills. I don't care for it as a phrase. But it does remind me that great poets can write things I don't like. And okay, it gets across the idea of something being stricken and it does prepare me for hard things coming further down in the poem. But never mind, a letter from home. Gave it four stars the last time I read it and two ticks in 1998. Um, I, I know that there's a whole lot of work by Mary Oliver which I've only which I one I haven't read and secondly the only place I found it is in on the internet rather than in a poem in a book itself I don't suppose there's anybody near Linden Alabama who's listening to this or who will ever listen to this if uh, there is or you know anybody living in Alabama near Linden Mary Oliver wrote fields near Linden Alabama <laughs> okay I gotta stop I gotta stop Mary Oliver I uh, yeah I'm, I'll be back to you I'm sure you now that's the excessive side of me you know wanted to sit down and read every almost every poem from this book into uh, in in audio anyway there are more sides to me than that <laughs>